0: You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. Amen. So kids up to second grade who are going back there uh, to the classes can go now, and they'll be led over to their classrooms by their teachers. And uh, we're going to continue in the book of Colossians. We're going to be starting chapter 3. This morning, so invite you to get ready for that. Um, as always, we are completely dependent on the Lord to teach us this morning. So, uh, we'll we'll read here together. I'll read out loud. If you'd follow along, Colossians chapter three, verses one through four, and then after we have. Red will ask the Lord to help us for, uh, for what we hope to see him do. All right. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Oh God, help us. Please, by your Holy Spirit, will you cause your word to invade our hearts, our minds? Would you allow your word to interpret us this morning? To read us, to examine us, to influence us. Holy Spirit, we realize that this is your ministry to us to cause us to know and believe and obey the truth. So we invite you, we plead with you to come and do this even now for each one of us that we would find ourselves not just going to church this morning but interacting with the living God that you would move with your power to accomplish your purposes in your people. Do what only you can do, Lord. Please, we ask you, and we count on you this morning. Because if you don't do what you can do, we realize that this is pointless. Help us, please. Wield your word. We ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are again in, in Colossians, and Paul is, um, he spent this first, what we call chapters. Of course, he didn't write them in chapters and verses, but up until now, he's been giving a lot of warnings against trusting in, in a faith, a version of Christianity. that would say, you need Jesus, but Jesus isn't enough. You also need to add these things and add these things. And he's warning them against that and establishing Jesus as sufficient for everything, that he's not only sufficient, like if you are trying to buy a candy bar, $2 is enough, but like he's overqualified for every human need, spiritually, physically. He's the creator, the sustainer of not only our physical lives, but our spiritual lives. He is God. So he's established those truths now, and he begins to turn our attention to what we do with those truths. How do we live in light of who Jesus is? So we begin here with Paul's statement, if then you have been raised with Christ. Well, that's not just kind of some parenthetical remark, right? If you've been raised with Christ, this is, again, the gospel being preached to us. We're being reminded of who we are, where we come from, why we're all gathered here. And and for these people in Colossae who were gathered together to read this letter, they're being reminded of a truth that changes the rest of their lives. It changes the way they see everything, the way they hear everything, the way they interpret life. If then you've been raised with Christ. And and the reminder here is that we do not belong to this world. We don't belong to this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Christ's kingdom is our home and we're already seated there in Christ. We're strangers and exiles in the earth. And and these aren't just opinions of someone who's read the Bible a little bit or something, but these are truths. Ephesians 2, Philippians 3, Hebrews 11, 1 Peter 2. We don't belong to this world. We're citizens of Christ's kingdom and that is our home. Our home is there with Him. So much so that that the scriptures say we're seated with Christ in heavenly places present tense that it's a thing that is right now we are in Christ where Christ is at the right hand of God if then you've been raised with Christ and so we we remember some of Paul's other writings particularly when we when we think of being raised with Christ we can think of Romans chapter 6, and I'm going to ask you to actually flip back to the left, to the book of Romans, to chapter 6. Again, the purpose here for turning to Romans is so that you can see the word confirming the truth of the word. Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 19. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. The point of what he's saying here is you have died. Your natural self has died and it's no longer that natural self who's living, but you've been buried with Christ and now you've been raised with Christ so that you're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5. And you're no longer under this law that says you must in the flesh accomplish a righteousness that will be sufficient to to unite you with a holy God, but instead you're under grace. You died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, and now you live with Christ under his grace. So uh, I don't do this kind of thing very often, but sometimes there's just, Things have been said that there's, there's really, I can't find a better way to say them. And of course, we can always say that about the scriptures, but um, I, I don't know how many of you guys are hip-hop fans. I'm looking around and I'm thinking maybe a few, maybe a few. Um, so there is a, uh, there's a hip-hop group uh, called um, Humble Beast. And I know you're already feeling like, well, I'm out. I don't even get it. Uh, and, and one of the uh, rap groups in, in this group called Humble Beast is a group called Beautiful Eulogy. And I know it's getting weirder and weirder. Uh, and, and among the guys who rap for Beautiful Eulogy is a guy called Odd Thomas, which I know is just getting more and more weird. But hang with me. There's a song called Surrender that, uh, that has a verse written by Thomas and he's actually, a, he's a really great guy and a, and a strong believer and a leader in his church. Uh, and he has a way with words and he's speaking about this concept of being uh, dead to sin and alive to Christ. And so if you're dead to sin, then slave is not any longer your master. You're not a slave to it. But now because you're in Christ, you're a slave to righteousness. And this is just scriptural truth. Again, we're, we're speaking about Romans, Romans chapter 6. And, and our Colossians passion passage here, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And this is the way Thomas puts it. He says, This is a pragmatic axiom, a practical truth. We were born into a system, automatic slaves and addicts. And whether you believe it is just a matter of whether you consider it compatible or problematic. But if you honestly acknowledge the logical conclusion, for you to choose your destiny is a delusion. Because when you examine the general system of living it proves who your true master and who you're enslaved to and it's true that since the fall we've all been taught a false view of freedom and a rebellious mind recoils and is inclined to deny him and bind him with the ties of treason either rebellion or righteousness both lead to the inescapable mark of eternal life or death bound to sin or bound to obey either way we're both slaves one kills one saves right i, I can i couldn't have said that we are either of the world or we're of Christ we're either in the world as in belonging to it or we're in Christ As in belonging to Him. And we find our identity in where we belong. Whom we belong to. We either find our identity in the world, which means we care about what the world cares about. We need what the world needs. We belong to the desires that the world says we belong to. Or we can say all those things about Christ. We find ourselves in Him. Our existence is defined by Him. By being in Christ Being raised with him, we belong to him. And our identity is in him. So what Paul is saying is, if then, which really should be translated or could be faithfully translated since then. It's already a foregone conclusion when he says if. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. There is an established reality here that we are in Christ, and Christ is in heaven with God at his right hand, seated there, established, firm as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And if we're in him, we are firmly established as secure, secure in our identity, Nothing can remove us. Nothing can reshape us. We belong to him and we're safe there. This is our reality. And I I know that we could go on and make a lot of qualifying statements and and we could even make some biblical statements about the fact that even though we're seated with Christ, we're still living in this world. And, And Jesus said himself when he prayed for us, that we wouldn't be removed from the world, but that we would be united together with God in this world. And we can say all those things, but it doesn't change that the penultimate reality for the Christian is that you are in Christ where Christ is. That determines your existence. So you tell me, if you are in Christ in heavenly places, Seated with him, and that's who holds your identity, and that's who owns you, and that's to whom you are enslaved for righteousness' sake to glorify God, then what kinds of things are you seeking? You're seeking the things that surround you, that define you, that God calls you to. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Again, this this isn't just about seeking good things and not bad things. It's about seeking the things that Christ has saved us for. And we're not talking about geography here. It's not as though you're in Christ, so seek the things that you see around Christ, thrones and angels and Whatever else, babies floating on clouds with harps and whatever we all think the cartoons say heaven is like. We're not seeking geography and things. It's the heavenly things. We have lists of them all throughout Scripture. Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable If there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is what it means to set our minds on things that are above. Grammatically, Paul's commandment here to set our minds is in the present imperative. That means it's a continuous, ongoing action. We set our minds and we keep on setting our minds on heavenly things. Things that are perfect. Things that are excellent. Things that are worthy of praise. Things that Jesus came and exhibited in his character. Faithfulness. Righteousness. Goodness. Peace. Grace. We love these things. We pursue and seek these things. So... I think if we're being honest, we can all say that if we've read this passage before, we've taken it as kind of advice for how to navigate life without becoming overly negative or caught up in worldly pursuits like making a lot of money or, or having the perfect-looking spouse and this kind of stuff. And, and that stuff has an element of truth to it. But what Paul's trying to accomplish here is establishing a conclusion and then understanding how we live out of it. So the conclusion is, it would be insane for us to live for the things of the world because we don't belong to the world. So that's established, and we're saying that if we're all in the room claiming Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, as our King, and that we're seated with Him in heavenly places, then of course we're not obsessed with getting rich, Of course we're not obsessed with material possessions and forming our kids to be some kind of reflection of our wonder and glory. Of course we're not obsessed with things like finding the perfect looking spouse and maintaining some physical appearance that we can find our identities in. Of course we're not about those things. Here's what we can say. Of course, of course, we are obsessed with Christ. Of course, we're obsessed with Christ, which is what it would mean to set your mind on Him and all that is Him and continuously keep setting your mind on Him. If you said about any other thing, set your mind on it and continuously keep setting your mind on it, you would say, man, that dude's obsessed. That lady is obsessed. Listen, brothers and sisters, to be anything less than obsessed with Jesus is falling short of a true devotion. He's worthy of it. He's worthy of it. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We know that the reason why Jesus is worthy of obsession, worthy of constant preoccupation, is because he is who he is. Amen? Not because we believe wonderful things about him, not because we say great glorious things about him, but because he is things that we're just trying to say good enough things about. Our words always fall short. Biblical truth is, is evident. It is saying things about Jesus that we are having a hard time really wrapping our minds around. We say stuff and we don't really know what we're saying most of the time. That Jesus is king of kings and Lord of lords. You know, that's not just on his name tag. I know that sounds pithy and it sounds neat and inspiring and like, oh, oh wow, what a title. But it's not just a title. It's words that mean something about Jesus. He is the king of Of all the kings, and he is the Lord of all of the lords. There's no one who's ever been a king who wasn't in submission, whether they liked it or not, to Christ the King. All things are finding their existence in him. There's nothing good apart from him. He spoke the world into being. People are people who are in submission to Christ the King, no matter who they think they are no matter what they aspire to, no matter how many people bow to them, they bow to Christ. Philippians 2, again, Paul says that every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What are we saying about Jesus? He is worthy of every thought, every desire, every plan. If anything does not find its end in the glory of Christ, then it's an evil thing. It's an earthly thing. We need to shift our focus from it. Again, we're we're talking about who Jesus is and now how do we live in light of him? And now if we can keep on digging deeper into this idea of setting our minds on him, that he's worthy of that, that he is the thing that is above. And all of these perfect and good and holy things that we're seeking, that we're pursuing, find their fullness in him. And that makes him worthy of our full attention and even our obsession, our constant thoughtfulness. Really the point is the fact that he is God. He is God. So then let's, let's follow Paul's train of thought here. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Well, we know why we would set our minds on the things that are above because they are in they are Christ and Christ is exalted and he's exhibiting all of these perfections that we should set our minds of. So then what would be the opposite to, to set our minds on things that are on the earth? if the whole point is the fact that Jesus is God and therefore worthy of our full attention, then what are we doing when we're setting our minds on things on the earth? Are we not treating them like gods? Are we not devoting ourselves to earthly, temporary things that are all going to burn up? But for now we say, I need you. I need you. If there's anything else but Jesus that we look to and say, I'm doomed without you. I can't be happy without you. I can't be fulfilled without you. I can't be secure without you. I'm lost without you. To say that of anything but Jesus is to call that thing your God. Things on the earth. So again, what Paul's trying to do here is not say, look, Don't waste time on earthly stuff. Spend your time on really great things. Don't focus on bad things. Focus on good things. It's so much more than that, brothers and sisters. This is about worship. This is about devotion. This is about obsession with what is true, what is holy, what's of God. To fall short of this is to be an idolater. And of course, none of us in this room who love Jesus love idolatry. And none of us is thinking, you know, well, Sunday I'll go worship Jesus. Then Monday I'll go worship my boss. And then Tuesday, I don't know, let's go crazy. Maybe we'll go worship the lake. Maybe I'll take a day or something. Now, nobody's thinking that. No, nobody's thinking that they worship their kids. Nobody's thinking they worship their, their 401k. But if you're setting your mind on it, if you're seeking it and pursuing it as a means of fulfillment and security, verse three is helpful. Connects some dots here. For you have died. For you have died. Again, back to Romans, Paul says that Christ died and with him we died and anyone who has died has been set free from the rule of sin. He says here, You've died. This world and all of its trappings and all of its cares and concerns and all of, its, all of its glittery glamour, you've died to that. Again, we're saying, since you have been raised with Christ, established truth. And then he says, you have died. If you are in Christ You have died to this world. Not you're trying to get to the point in your faith in Christ where you have died to this world, but you have died. That is a thing that happened to you. And it's a glorious thing, a wonderful thing, because you didn't only die to the world, you also were raised up with Christ. So you're alive You're alive. You died and now you're alive again. You were raised up with Christ, resurrected with him, not in the fullest sense. We will be one day when he returns and there'll be a bodily resurrection of all those who have trusted in Jesus. But for now, in your soul, your spirit, you've gone from death to life. And that death was towards the world and towards sinfulness, your former master. And you're alive to God. In Christ Jesus. So you don't have to do a bunch of upfront work to try to get to some place where now this is true of you. If you believe that Jesus lived, died for your sins, was buried, raised on the third day, Ascended to the right hand of the Father and is now interceding for you, giving the Holy Spirit to stir up faith in you towards him in a life that glorifies God. If this gospel is your life and your belief, then you have died to this world. Done. Now it's about belief. About belief in that fact. You've died to this world. Why would we care for it anymore? The things that it would have to offer to us. Always trying to draw us into a sense of identity and security and the things that it offers when we know we have the better things already given to us in Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. The world cannot destroy you. You cannot be lost. Brothers and sisters who are in Christ... You cannot be lost. You're safe. But are you safe when you fail? Are you safe when you set your mind on earthly things and you find yourself feeling that you cannot live without this thing or this person or this job or this amount of money in your savings account or this amount of time to relax and recharge? Can you be safe apart from those things? Can you be safe when you fall into those things? Again, there are established truths and these truths are unchanging. Things about God and things about you that he has said are finished, are done. You're safe. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. We have all failed and failed and failed. We have all worshiped things of this world. We've all set our minds on those things. We've all poured our passion, our sweat, our tears into those things. Some of us have even sought after those things to the point of shedding our blood. But there's grace for us because our lives are hidden with Christ in God. Secure, forever, unchanging It is who you are. So if you find yourself sitting here this morning going, man, what a failure. What a failure. What a disaster. If if to seek the things of the world and find my comfort or my identity in them means that I'm worshiping them and I'm falling short of my identity in Christ, then I'm such a failure. Not, Not as bad as me. Not like I've done. I bet I could make a case I'm a worse idolater than all of you. I bet we could sit in here for hours and every single one of us in a line, like a Congo line, could come up here through the pulpit and go, Here's why I'm the greatest failure. And we'd all go, Man, that's a good point. It's a strong case. And then the next person would come up and they'd have some way of trumping that and saying, no, it can't be because listen to what I did. Listen to how many years I devoted to pursuing this goal. This goal that had nothing to do with the glory of Christ. This goal that I was pursuing apart from faith in Christ. In fact, my faith in Christ would tell me I don't need it, but I decided I did. And I spent years pursuing it. And when I'll go, man... Maybe you are the worst. I bet I can make a case that I'm the worst. Praise God. My life is hidden with Christ in God. I'm secure. Not, not in spite of all my failures. In full view of all my failures. Because of my failures, Christ came and died for me. He came and died for me. So that my life would be hidden with him so that I could be secure. We can sum up this perspective, I think, in a real simple way that I'm hoping you can take home with you. And it can be a recurring thought in your mind that that prompts you to set your mind on things that are above where Christ is. This perspective is predicated on, on a simple thought. The Bible is true. Amen? The Bible is true. If we say that, then it excludes us from believing all kinds of things, right? It demands that we believe a certain set of fixed things about God and about ourselves, and it excludes us from believing all kinds of other things about God and about ourselves. So the thing that we are fixed on is that God is sufficient and I'm in him. Therefore, I'm satisfied. We're excluded from believing that there's anything apart from God that can satisfy us and that I can't be satisfied in it. Therefore, I'm not. I am not satisfied with the world. I don't pursue the things of the world. I'm satisfied with God. Therefore, I pursue it with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength the Bible is true. Whatever it says of God, I believe and I pursue. Whatever it says of myself, I believe and I trust God in accordance with those truths. What do I need from God? I need God. Even more specifically, the the Bible is true, but even more specifically, we need to know what the Bible says, especially what it says about Jesus so that God's revealed truth can govern our perspective. What it says about Jesus. Because the entire testimony of Scripture, Old Testament and New Testament has Christ at the center and the gospel truth of who he is and what he's done to lay his life down, raise it back up again, and secure a life for us that's eternal with God. To overcome our unrighteousness, to credit Christ's righteousness to us so that we're in a relationship with a holy God that lasts forever. This is the focus of Scripture, It's as if the Bible has set its mind on Christ. And so we do the same. The Bible is true. What it says about Jesus is true. So let me just give you an example from my life. Probably from most of, of your lives. I have a child who is rebellious and doesn't respect authority. If that's true of me, all right? I actually have four of them. <laughs> if I have this child who is, who's just rebellious, has no respect for authority, and I'm striving to, to bring a sense of respect for authority into my child's life, I want them to be obedient because I believe that'll be best for them. And so I'm always trying to train them and nurture them and and encourage them to respect authority and obey the authority above them. And yet they remain rebellious and disrespectful of authority. Okay, now here it goes. The Bible is true specifically what it says about Jesus, is true. Now, if I'm setting my mind on things above, not on things of the earth, then I'm not going to be lost in this thing that says, if I can't somehow find a way to wrangle my child's heart into submissiveness and respect for authority, then they'll be lost forever. That's of the earth. As if you are your child's God. The Bible says, yeah, you have a human child. You you birthed a human. What did you expect? Rebellious and doesn't respect authority? That's because there are ten fingers and ten toes and some eyeballs and hair on top of the head. You didn't give birth to some animal. A fallen human being entered into your home. Of course your child is rebellious and doesn't respect authority. It's called a sinful nature. It's your responsibility to raise your child with godly love and discipline that's rooted in the gospel. This is incredibly important for the growth and health of your child. But your parenting will not ultimately determine the condition of your child's heart. The Lord will. Isn't that freeing? Isn't it such good news to know that the Bible is true? And if you believe what the Bible says, you're free from this condemning weight hanging around your neck as you look at your child or anything else in your life spinning out of control to think that you have to somehow be God over this situation. To know that you're not. That God is And that he has the power, he has the authority to do what he will, including wrangle that child's heart and bring them into a state of submissiveness to him. He can do that. So then, what do you do? You pray. You pray. You seek God. You seek the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. And what does the Bible specifically say about Jesus in this dilemma that we would find ourselves in? That would speak to this desire we have to see our children become obedient and respectful of authority. Jesus said in Mark 2:17, "Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So then Jesus has the power and the authority to call sinners to himself. Pray for your children. Rest in the sovereignty of Christ to call them, to call them, to secure them, to love them, to nurture them. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And here is that final glorious day of resurrection when Jesus will make all things new. When the earth itself will be made new. Every tear wiped away, everything that is broken will be healed, and we who have trusted Christ will live in a world that is free from the tyranny of sin and the fear of death, and we'll only live with each other and with Christ, who's our God and our light and our fulfillment. And there'll be no more pain, no more striving for fulfillment. We will be finished. We'll be finished. The race will be run. The work of Christ will be complete in us, perfected, living with him forever. And then the things even that are on earth will be holy and sanctified and enjoyable to the glory of Christ. Until that day comes, I plead with you. Do not find your identity. Do not worship broken, tainted things that cannot fulfill. Worship Christ. To say that he is sufficient is true, but we have to understand that he is overqualified to satisfy us. We have not yet begun to scratch the surface of the beauties and the power of Christ. I realize that um, as a family of people in this room here, we are faced with a great challenge. And it's the challenge of every human being, and especially of those who belong to God, that we have a real identity crisis an identity crisis. And I think you know what I mean. This crisis that every single day our eyes are going to open and we're going to put our feet on the floor and we're going to make thousands of decisions. And some of those decisions we know we're going to make in accordance with greater decisions The greater decisions are these. To whom do I belong? Who is holding me? Who is worthy of my affection and my devotion? And we're making decisions about these things. And I hope that we're making faithful decisions about these things. If we do, then the smaller decisions we make are not small at all. They become worship. They become worship when they're about the glory of Christ and honoring God and loving our brothers and sisters and proclaiming the good news of the gospel to the world around us for those who are lost, for those who are dead and are separated from God and they need the gospel. They need to hear it so that they might believe These greater decisions are determined by our decisions to believe the scriptures. And equally, when we fail to make these decisions faithfully, the decisions are not small. We decide to give ourselves over to earthly things. It's a painful thing to think of. It's a hurtful thing and for many of us an awkward thing to imagine that we are giving ourselves in worship to earthly things. It's painful for a reason. If I can give you just a a final encouragement, that in the midst of that pain and awkwardness, of knowing that you have and and you may be faced with, will be faced with, decisions that will be giving yourselves over to earthly things to worship them and find security and comfort in them, rather than, not in addition to, rather than seeking and believing Christ for those things, to know that is painful and awkward, but the reason is, you have the Holy Spirit, If you didn't have the Holy Spirit, then you would go headlong into these things and you'd be listening to this conversation going, You people are nuts. I'm going to devote myself to some imaginary man in the sky. And I'm going to be obsessed with Him and set my mind on Him continuously thinking only of Him for the glory of Him to honor Him and every single decision I make you people are out of your minds. When do you ever reap any benefit? When do you ever get to feel it or see it? When does it ever add money to your bank account? When does it ever make your boat bigger or your house square footage increase? The only reason you feel pained and awkward over your exalting and worshiping of earthly things is because the Holy Spirit inside of you calls you to more, calls you to deeper things, greater things, wonderful, beautiful things that are about heaven, that are about Christ, seated at the right hand of God, where you are, where your life is hidden with him in God. That is your life. Christ is life. It's insanity to the world and insanity to your flesh because you do believe. So in the midst of your dilemma, in the midst of your conviction, in the midst of your regret, have joy, brothers and sisters. Have joy. Have joy. Joy. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. You are owned by, held by, loved by Christ himself in heaven. Your life is hidden with him. You belong to him. Slaves of righteousness, not of sin. Rebel against that worldly identity that would call you to believe in and hope in. Garbage hopeless, powerless garbage. We all know better. Amen? We all know better because of the Holy Spirit, because he's inside of you, because he's leading you into all the truth. So let's seek him for those things. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.